Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and CMEA markets. It's Tuesday, January the 31st. I'm Caterina Dassier. Coming up this week, reporter Beatriz Mavroleon will discuss the highlights of the primary market this week. Analyst Charlie Ward will talk about Benelux DIY retailer Maxeda cash flow analysis. High yield editor Robert Schack will touch on Australia headquartered oncology services company Genesis Care as the Australian newspaper just reported it could file for Chapter 11 within days. Finally, I will chat with editor Luca Rossi about Italian-German auto parts supplier Adler Pelzer, as its shareholders are considering making a significant equity contribution in the company as part of an attempt to support the refinancing of its debt maturing in 2023 and 2024. Earlier today, I had a call with Beatrice to ask about the highlights of the primary market so far this week. Here is what she said. This week, there's some activity in the primary market. French real estate management company Emeria was marketing 400 million euros of senior secured notes to repay amounts outstanding under its RCF and fund cash on the company's balance sheet. Swedish ferry shipping and offshore drilling company Stenner launched 325 million euros um, of five-year senior secured notes, which will be used to repurchase the company's existing uh, senior secured notes during 2024. Consumer data company Nielsen IQ is marketing a $2 billion equivalent incremental term loan B due in 2028, mostly in dollars, with a $500 million equivalent euro tranche to fund its acquisition of peer GFK and pay, pay down the outstanding balance of its RCF. Dutch artificial grass provider Tencat relaunched late last week the 274.3 million euro term loan B add-on to its um, term loan, uh, maturing in September 2028 that it had postponed in October last year. The proceeds of the add-on will fund Tencat's acquisition of US-based peer Hellas. Um, US preparation and testing company Indicor is marketing a $1.23 billion and 300 million euro first theme turn loan due in 2029 to support CD&R's acquisition of majority stake in the company. Maxeda's senior secured notes due 2026 were trading at par a year ago, before sinking to 62 just prior to the release of their third quarter results in November due to concerns over a liquidity crisis. They have since risen to 77 off the back of a strong third quarter. Charlie, what are the factors driving this price movement? Hi, Katarina. Yeah, so the response from the buy side has been mixed. Um, with the luxury of hindsight, of course, we can see that price of 62 was certainly too low, given the company's large share of the growing Benelux DIY market. Um, Maxeda's brands Praxis, Brico and Brico Planet have strong loyalty among consumers and are well known in the region, similar to Kingfisher's B&Q in the UK. Um, customers really value the expertise that they can get in store and they're really well entrenched within the market. Um, it's a strong company with a strong management that has a long history in the region, so 
the price of 62 was sort of surprising when looking at it before the Q3. Um, and the, the main factor driving um, the sharp initial decline was concerned that a post-COVID earnings normalization could precipitate a liquidity crisis. In contrast to most retailers in the consumer discretionary segment throughout Europe, Maxeda actually benefited from the pandemic, which seems kind of counterintuitive. Um, there's a reason for this, though, because DIY retail was one of the few sectors alongside grocery that was deemed essential by the Belgian and Dutch governments. Um, stores were actually permitted to remain open throughout the pandemic, apart from some brief periods, especially in the Netherlands. Um, albeit, they did have some restrictions like appointment-based shopping and restrictions on numbers. This didn't really affect their revenue, um, however. There was a big rise in this trend of cocooning, which was people spending time indoors. Um, and there were also fewer opportunities for discretionary spending elsewhere, other than on DIY. Hence, we saw a 12% increase in revenue between 2019 and 2020, which was entirely driven by the pandemic. Um, and that's kind of why you saw them at par at the start of the year. Um, however, you know, as you mentioned, they sort of tailed downwards. Um, there was real worries about whether there'd be a post-COVID earnings normalization, and you'd see a return to the revenues that they are registering between 2017 and 2019. Um, there were concerns for investors that Maxeda would return to its historically weak levels of cash flow generation, and maybe this would precipitate a liquidity crisis. And this is why you see that um, 62 level that you did um, just before the Q3. Okay, and what are the factors aside from the earnings normalization that you just mentioned that could lead to a liquidity crisis? Um, yeah, so it's important to provide some context on Maxeda's liquidity position before delving into this. Um, Maxeda has a 65 million uh, revolving credit facility, that's euros, um, which it uses to manage these uh, sizable working capital swings it experiences throughout the year. Um, typically, it draws on this RCF in the third quarter because it experiences sizable working capital outflows for Q3 every year. Um, for example, last quarter um, Q3 uh, working capital outflow stood at 78 million euros. Um, and management obviously fully drew on the RCF to accommodate this large swing. So you can easily see that if the company experiences that regular seasonal uh, working capital outflow combined with negative um, cash flow in that quarter, um, there could easily be a liquidity crisis due to the fact that the aggregate of the working capital outflow and normal operational cash flows um, could exceed the RCF, which would require the company to raise additional liquidity. And this was the main concern, I think, uh, of investors, which was the reason that the notes trade is so low. And so do you think that a liquidity crisis is a concern? Um, in our view, unless we start to see a severe decline in year-over-year -year revenues in the coming quarters towards those that were being recorded, for example, in 2018 and 2019, before this sort of um, pandemic-driven uh, revenue boost, that they saw in 2020 and 2021, um, we don't actually think that liquidity will be an issue. Um, Maxeda typically operates this model where it generates positive levered free cash flow in the first and second quarters to allow um, the cash position to build up so that they can then um, use the RCF to accommodate the seasonal working capital swing in Q3. Um, so that's the typical model that they, they use. And so we'd have to see a severe decline in cash flows driven by revenue in Q1 and Q2 of financial year 2023 for that to occur. Um, additionally, management has confirmed on the last earnings call that the majority of the RCF had been repaid and that it would be fully repaid by the fourth quarter. Um, so we can assume that they will have full availability as of the fourth quarter and therefore as of Q1 2023. 
So as I said, the company would have to experience really strongly negative free cash flow for there to be a liquidity crisis, at least for the financial year 2023. And okay, so based on the fact that a liquidity crisis seems unlikely, at least for the upcoming uh, financial year, why do you think that the bonds are still trading at a significant discount? Well, as we mentioned, although the, we think that uh, cash flow generation should be sufficient to keep uh, the liquidity crisis at bay, at least for 2023, um, it's very unlikely that there will be sufficient cash generation for the company to deliver before the maturity of its notes in 2026. Um, so Maxeda typically has um, marginally positive free cash flow generation. Even in our base case, we've um, modeled that revenue growth will be strong and there will be some operational cutbacks which should help out free cash flow. However, the cash flow generation won't be significant enough uh, for the company to deliver to potentially refinance at a favorable rate um, in 2025 before the maturity of the 2026s. Um, for example, we're currently um, looking at a higher rates environment um, and Maxeda's notes have a 5.875% coupon. Um, those notes were marketed at a 2.15 times leverage ratio. However, for our base case, we're looking at a 3.6 times leverage ratio for 2025. And for clarity, that's post IFRS 16 net leverage. Um, so of course, there would be a larger coupon um, demanded by um, potential lenders, which would cut into their levered free cash flow further, which, as we've said, isn't too excellent um, anyway. And that could prove sustainable, unsustainable operationally for the company. So it's certainly one to keep an eye on um, for at least Q1 and Q2 um, to kind of see if um, they do record um, negative uh, free cash flow, which might bring um, the potential of a liquidity crisis in Q3 back into play. Um, but yeah, we'll be following it closely. Thank you, Charlie. Elsewhere, Australia headquarter Genesis Care has been in the headlines lately. Rob, what has been happening? Hi, Kat. Yes, it's a super topical name. There's been a lot of news flow in the Australian press recently on Genesis Care. Earlier this month, AFR, the Australian Financial Review, published an article stating that distressed debt fund Oaktree had offered to provide new funds to the oncology services provider. Um, although it didn't provide any details. However, Reorg subsequently found out that the offer was for a roughly $700 million loan secured against some of Genesis Care's Australian and European businesses, its healthy assets, contingent on a drop-down transaction to shift them out of the restricted group. That means that the new money would leave existing lenders effectively primed and stuck with the group's loss-making US segment, comprising the former 21st century oncology business that Genesis Care bought out of insolvency. KKR, which owns a majority stake in Genesis Care, has done this before with US healthcare group Envision, another one of its portfolio companies. Last year, Envision carved out its most valuable asset, its ambulatory surgery business AmSurge, from the restricted group and pledged as collateral for a new $1 billion loan provided by hedge funds Angela Gordon and Centerbridge, thereby reducing the available collateral of the existing lenders. And Rob, is it a drop-down transaction like this possible under Genesis Care documentation? So the real EMEA Covenants team conducted an analysis of the senior facilities agreement terms to analyze whether such a transaction could be possible, and if so, how Genesis Care might go about it. According to our analysis, it is definitely possible by designating the subsidiaries as unrestricted subsidiaries. Given their estimated value, Genesis Care will likely be able to only drop down one of the Australian or European assets. We understand that management has not yet decided to go ahead with the deal for now, 
But given the pace of the group's cash burn, it's still possible that it could end up going ahead with the transaction. And there was another article in the Australian press this week suggesting the company could file for Chapter 11 instead. Have you heard anything further on that? Yes, that's right. The Australian published that yesterday. But while it's possible that Genesis Care ultimately does end up filing for Chapter 11, this does not seem to be imminent as of right now, sources told us today. Thank you, Rob. Hi, Luca. You wrote a story on Adler Pelzer last week, which moved the market. So tell me what's been happening with the Italian-German auto part supplier. So Adler Pelzer has quite a lot of debt to refinance. It has 81 million euros of bank debt maturing in 2023 and a total of 425 million euros of senior secured notes due May 2024. These notes went up to the low 80s after our story a couple of weeks ago. So the company was planning to launch a refinancing in April 2022, but decided to postpone the deal due to the significant deterioration of primary debt markets after the start of the war in Ukraine. So everyone is kind of waiting to see what can happen now. And so, Luca, what have your sources told you? So after months of relative silence, apparently the company has now spoken with its two main shareholders, the Italian family Scudieri, which owns a majority stake in the business, and uh, the Japanese corporation Hayashi Telempu, HTC, which directly and indirectly controls the remaining 48% of the business. The shareholders are considering making a significant equity injection in the company, which, let's not forget, has completed a series of important acquisitions last year and is working on fully integrating the new businesses. My sources talked about an investment of around 100 million euros of equity. The Italian family seems to be willing to support the business, while the situation with the Japanese uh, shareholder is still a bit unclear. Although some investors are convinced that HTC will support the business too. Also, given its recent investment in it and the fact that Adler Pelzer is seen as a key business by some of HTC's main clients. I see, Luca. So in an ideal world, let's say, for the company, what should happen? Well, in an ideal world, both uh, shareholders would uh, support the business with a sizable equity injection. And the company convinces its main bondholders to roll their current exposure into a new instrument. And what if straight refinancing doesn't work? In that case, the company could work on an amend and extend of the bond. If there is no new money, the company might even consider the possibility to restructure its debt. Okay, uh, makes sense. And what will happen to the company bank debt? As you say, 81 million euros mature in 2023. So Adler Pelzer is working on a new RCF, which would group together some of the company's bank debt into a sort of bigger instrument. And do investors seem confident about the possibility of a recapitalization and straight refinancing? Well... It really depends on the willingness from the shareholders 
to support the business and on how much money they want to put in. Also, it depends on how much EBDA you think the company will make. And if those 100 million we mentioned earlier would be enough to convince the markets of an overperformance of the business. Thank you, Luca. Thank you. Join Reorg's senior legal analysts on Wednesday, February the 8th, as we discuss the trends in leveraged loan and high-yield bond covenants in the latest episode of Reorg webinar series, European Leverage Finance Trends, How Covenants Evolved in 2022. Register now at reorg.com or email marketing at reorg.com for further information. We also send a weekly roundup of your content, ranging from breaking news to in-depth financial and legal analysis, as well as the latest podcasts that you can listen to and webinars that you can register to attend. Sign up to the newsletter now at reorg.com. We also would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience. So please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we are doing. More information on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening. Thank you.